on the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We all know it, okay? And we come to the portion that says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Amen? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Whichever version that you want to use, it's the same thing. We're asking forgiveness, but we're also extending forgiveness as well. And it goes along with the scriptures that tells us that if we want forgiveness, then we have to forgive. It's all a part of the plan and all a part of the balance in God's scripture, okay? King David, in chapter 4, has ascended to the throne of Israel, okay? He's ascended to the throne of Israel. The previous king, Saul, was insanely jealous of David, and you know all the stories about him throwing a javelin at him and, and how he chased him across the countryside uh, uh, to do everything that he could to, uh, to track him down and, and to really wipe him out or kill him. David was preserved by the Lord. He was kept that to be what God had ordained him to be in due season, and that was the king of Israel. One day when Israel was in a battle on Mount Gilboa, Saul was fighting along with his son, Jonathan. They were taken out by the Philistines. Okay, Both died on Mount Gilboa. David was brokenhearted when he heard the news. David had great respect for the position that Saul was in. But he also had a deep love for Saul's son, Jonathan. David and Jonathan were bound together in the Lord, and they were as close as brothers, and they were committed completely to one another. Jonathan was willing to step aside, although he was to be next in line as king. He knew that David was the one that the Lord had anointed to be his father's successor. Now, Jonathan was a great guy. Now he has died with his father, Saul. David's now in power. He's been in power for some time. And one day he's sitting perhaps in his throne room, and he began to wonder, is there anyone alive, left, that's related to Saul and Jonathan in this kingdom? Anyone who is an ascendant uh, of or a link to Saul and Jonathan? And I want to be kind to them because Jonathan was such a good brother and was so kind to me. I want to be good to anyone who comes from that family. And you might ask yourself, why in the world would it be so difficult to find a relative from Jonathan's family? Well, when a new dynasty was ascending into the throne of any nation at that time, all of the previous family members of that dynasty were annihilated. Why were they annihilated? This was to keep any members of the former dynasty from attempting uh, to reign again on the throne. Ziba was summoned by David as a servant. Ziba was commissioned to find a person who was a descendant from Saul and Jonathan so that David could show kindness to them. Ziba, after his search, reported back to David and he shared with him that there was one, and his name, he was a son of Jonathan, a grandson of Saul, and his name was Mephibosheth. A lot of syllables there. Can you say that with me? Mephibosheth. All right. Mephibosheth. And at this time, 
Mephibosheth was probably about 20 years of age. And he lived in a land by the name of Lodabar. The name Lodabar means pastureless. Nothing was growing there. Okay? It means barren. It means arid. Mephibosheth was in a place of complete unproductiveness. Now, the name Mephibosheth itself means shameful breathing. Shameful breathing. And it has absolutely nothing to do with halitosis. Okay? All right? Shameful breathing is living in this guy named Mephibosheth, or shameful breathing, is living in a place where nothing grew. The name shameful breathing, uh, it actually had probably something to do more with asthma or a breathing condition. Perhaps Mephibosheth was born with that. There, there are times that he probably had to gasp for air. And if you've not had asthma, you're not going to understand uh, what it's like not to be able to catch your breath, probably. When I was little, I had asthma, and I grew out of it. And uh, uh, I remember times that, that I inhaled as deeply as I could, but I just never could get that breath down and deep enough in my lungs to be able to breathe. And uh, my mom bought me this stuff called Primatine Mist. And you would inhale it, and you'd inhale it, and you hold it into your lungs for many seconds at a time, and it would kind of, uh, I, I don't know physiologically exactly what it did, but it would be able to help me to breathe a little bit better. But when you're in a condition like that and you can't catch your breath, it can get kind of scary. Uh, I, I knew, I had a teacher who had a little baby boy that uh, died because he had asthma. He could not catch his breath. He took him to the hospital, and they couldn't help him, and he died because of it. So it could be a very, very scary thing. My mom, one time, uh, she had this home remedy, okay, and she would tie an onion around my neck. Now, probably an old wives' tale, but it was thought that maybe the pungent smell of that onion would open up the breathing passages, and you could breathe better. Talk about shameful breath. But it's interesting that he was called shameful breath. Perhaps he had a hard time catching his breath. And the scripture says that breathing or air or wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if we could look at it a little bit prophetically and see that that shameful breathing, that breathing condition, that inability to catch your breath may have had something to do with his condition in his entire life, that maybe he just wasn't able to get the Holy Spirit, to get a hold of the Holy Spirit anymore. And it, it was just troubling him in this situation, okay? But there was another problem with the development of Mephibosheth. He was lame in his feet and in his legs. What happened was that when the family of Saul was being obliterated, they were doing everything that they could to escape. When you go back, to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass, as she made haste, that he fell, or she dropped him, and became lame, and his name was 
Mephibosheth. As the scripture read, Mephibosheth was about five years old at the time. No doubt all the family members were running for their life. And remember, Mephibosheth probably had a hard time breathing because of the asthma. A nursemaid or a caretaker for Mephibosheth scooped him up. When she was running, she probably tripped and dropped Mephibosheth. And apparently he was injured neurologically. He would never be able to walk again. He was lame because he was dropped. It was no fault of his own. He had no idea what was going on at his age. Somebody he trusted deeply dropped him. And he spent the next years of his life hiding in a place called Lodabar. Mephibosheth Lodabar. Mephibosheth, shameful breath. Guy who couldn't breathe, living in a place of no productiveness. Barrenness. Lame. Can't breathe. Perhaps he thought if he just stayed in this hopeless place, he wouldn't be found. Maybe they were the, would just leave him alone. Mephibosheth probably lived here for about 15 years. Then one day, Ziba... David's servant finds him and delivers this message. The king desires an audience with you, Mephibosheth of Lodabar. Can you imagine hiding for 15 years and suddenly he gets a message from the king, directly from the palace, from the king's servant says, the king desires audience from you. He was probably afraid. 2 Samuel 9 and 6. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. I picture one of David's servants or soldiers carrying Mephibosheth into the throne room of the palace. And perhaps it was dark. Maybe it was a long corridor. But David's eyes could not adjust to the figure that just came in the back door. Maybe this soldier was carrying Mephibosheth, but David's eyes couldn't quite focus on what was happening. He saw the shape of a soldier, saw him carrying a heap. Perhaps it was a heap of uh, uh, cloth or whatever it was, but he was holding it. And then he got closer and saw that it must have been somewhat heavy because he was arching his back as he walked. And as he got closer, he noticed that that heap was a human form. And I can see the soldier as he walks to the foot of the throne of David. And David looks at the scene. The soldier sets Mephibosheth down. Now, if it would be you and I, it wouldn't be any problem because our strength and our legs and our feet would support us. Our coordination and balance would take over and we'd stand there. But Mephibosheth's feet hit the ground and no strength was there. There was no balance and no coordination. And probably he fell to a heap in front of King David. And here it says that David said, Mephibosheth, and that's how we read it. But in a lot of your translations, it's going to have an exclamation point after Mephibosheth. It's more of a, a question or shock. Mephibosheth? 
David's question is better. David realized this is Mephibosheth. My question is, saying all of that and giving you the background of all of that story is this. Who dropped you? Who dropped you in your life? Who created a place in your life where it's been difficult to go through life in a proper manner because somebody let you down that you trusted, that you put all of your faith and trust in, but they let you down, they dropped you. I remember doing a children's crusade and when I was youth pastor in Mesquite, Texas. And uh, we, uh, we'd go into other towns and we'd do these things and we'd take our youth and that kind of But anyway, we were, I remember one night asking the question, you know, kids, are there any of you that are just having any trouble in life? And, you know, people would say things like, well, I'm getting in trouble in school. Mom and Dad had to spank me because I'm disobedient. I, I was expecting those kind of things. But one of the little boys spoke up. He was probably seven. And he said, Pastor Scott, he said, my dad beats me. He said, you mean he spanks you? He said, no, he hits me with his fist. And it broke my heart immediately. said, uh, the people that, that care about those kind of things, they, they came and take, took Daddy away. He can't come back in my life. And he said, and, and Mommy and I's house was burnt down. And Daddy was a wreck. Beaten, we removed, you know, his, his house was burnt down. Every possession of the mom four boys gone, any toys that he had, those kind of things. Somebody dropped you. I don't know what kind of impact that had on the rest of his life. I hope, you know, the Spirit of God surrounded him and people surrounded him and helped him. But another little girl, she spoke up. And uh, said something. I've done something wrong and I didn't do that. It's not just kids get dropped. Maybe. But adults get dropped too. What caused you to be dropped? Since you were dropped, have you not been able to do life exactly how you know it could be? Maybe somebody that you should have been able to trust let you down because, and they, and they were supposed to protect you, but they hurt you instead. Perhaps you were abandoned by a parent. Maybe you've been abused emotionally, physically, sexually by a parent or someone else that you trusted. Could it be that a spouse has been unkind to you? How can they be so cruel to these people? Why don't they ever say, I'm sorry? They don't 
even seem to think that they've ever done anything wrong. Why did they try to find me? Why did they leave me alone? Why did they drop me? I'm lame, and I'm not doing what I say I am. I'm not thinking right. My relationships suffer because I'm having a hard time trusting. I'm having a hard time breathing. My relationships are more suffering. I've been dropped. It hurts. And the truth is, and this is the hard part, those who drop you will probably never know it and will never come back again. But guess what? You are being summoned by the king. The king of kings and the lord of lords is calling you by name. He's summoning you to his presence, much like King David did Mephibosheth. And he wants to show you grace. Just one prerequisite before you receive the healing from your lameness or your breathing condition or your difficulties in life or your spiritual longing. This is the only prerequisite. You got to be willing to drop. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say that you're going to forget when you forget. And I've heard it taught before. You're going to forget. When you truly forget, you're going to forget. Uh-uh. No. And that's why Jesus taught. He said, How many times do we forgive? those that were gathering that he was teaching, he said, he said, you forgive 70 times 7. Oh, 490 times I have to forgive this person, then I'm released. No, what he was saying is you forgive infinitely. You know what it's like every time you remember that person or that thing or the atrocity that's been done to you when you were dropped, it manifests in a disturbance in your mind, a lump in your throat and a knot in your stomach. I've forgiven them. That's why every time you think of it and that knot comes up and your throat comes up and your stomach and the disturbance in your mind comes, that you say, that's right, I have forgiven them. And I'm doing it again. I've already done it and I'm doing it again. Forgive them and move on to new business. Think about this. If we don't do that, we are chained to an individual that's having thing, an influence in our life years and years, years later. And they don't even know it. They have no idea. Every time it comes up, it's like watching old reruns of shows that aren't even any good. You ever done that? Catch yourself watching TV of a rerun that's really not any good. Nothing else on. What do you do? You change the channel, right? You change the channel. And it's so easy now because we have a remote control, and as long as the battery's up, we just have to push a button. Used to, it made a little effort. You had to go change the channel, get up out of your chair. You don't even have to do that anymore. 
I wouldn't know how to change the channel anymore if I didn't have a remote control. Pastor, you make it sound so easy. It is. I know it sounds easier than it is, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing, listen to this, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have the ability to take every thought, encapsulate it and say, I'm not thinking about that anymore, and casting it down. Because those bad thoughts, they're coming against the knowledge of God. They're coming against your breathing in the Holy Spirit. They're coming against your productiveness in life. Every thought, take every thought, and it takes practice. I'm not suggesting you can do it overnight. But when you remember it and you start thinking about it, you'll grab it and go, on to new ground. Well, Scott, well, that's fine. What do I do then? You know, when you take something away, say, I'm taking that thought, I'm casting it down. You know, when you change the channels, there's a new show that comes on. Right? Or another show, or you turn it off. Perhaps even turn the TV off for a while. Well, what do I think about that? These are the things you think about. Philippians 4, 4 8. You think on whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things that are honest, whatsoever things that are just, whatever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. There's good thoughts that you have in your mind. There's people that have done you good. There are good situations in your life. There's a good future that God has for you. Those are the kind of things that you replace that void that's been taken away from those old thoughts that have been destructive in your life. You cast them down, and you put new eyes on them. 2 Samuel 9 and 8. This is what Mephibosheth did. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? He's talking about himself that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am. That's his self-talk. That's what he says to himself. He says, I'm a dog. You don't mean to say I'm a dog. I'm a dead dog. Gee, why would you even look at this shameful brute, can't breathe, living in a barren place, you know, dog. Why would you even look at him? And what's interesting is the king, he didn't even acknowledge his statement. <laughs> he didn't even acknowledge the self-talk of Mephibosheth. He looked at Ziba. I think it was interesting because Ziba was acting as a Hebrew steward too. He was a messenger. God thinks it, Jesus says it, and the Holy Spirit does it. He addressed Ziba, his servant, and said, I'm giving Mephibosheth all the land that his grandpa owned. Your sons 
and your servants will plow the land and plant and harvest for Mephibosheth so that he may have food. And I love this. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He was making sure that Mephibosheth was more than taken care of. The king has an awesome prophecy for you. He's got a plan for your life that you can't even imagine or even think about today because you're so broken, so hurt, and so broke. He wants to make sure that you are more than taken care of. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for, intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants you more than taken care of because you are more than a conqueror. Amen? And I love this part. David, he said to Mephibosheth, I'm giving you all the land back. We already talked about that. But here's what I want. Mephibosheth, you're going to have all the food that you want in your house, but I request that you eat at the king's table every day. You eat at the king's table every day. <laughs> I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the king's table. It's long. Maybe it's made of real hard wood. It probably had a beautiful linen tablecloth over it every day. It's spread over every square inch and it hangs down about halfway between the tabletop and the floor. And there are chairs pushed up all the way around and there are many chairs. Okay? And all of the king's kids, the brothers and sisters gather around at mealtime. And it's time for meals. And Mephibosheth gets to come and eat at the table. He's seated, maybe right next to the king, maybe right next to David. They push his chair up under the table. And he's sitting there, and he's looking around, and he's suddenly become aware of something. That tablecloth that is on the table that he is seated at, getting ready to dine with the king, that tablecloth comes right down on his lap. 
and it covers up his scars. Those lame legs can't be seen. That past is all hidden from everybody else. And he looks around, and he sees that he looks like everybody else. I'm just being treated like one of the king's kids. Nobody can see my scars. Nobody can see my past. Nobody can see anything. And I'm dining with the king. And suddenly, something else jumps to his mind. He looks at me and he goes, yeah, I bet everybody else at this table has scars too. Somebody dropped me. That's the past. I'm moving on to the future that God has for me. The plan that he has for me. I'm going to take it day at a time, but I know it's going to be good because God has ordained it. Will you drop it? I'd say probably we've all been dropped to one degree or another. Some of us have been dropped real bad. Time to step up to the plate. Here's Becky. Let me take care of the scars. Let me heal you. Let me heal your past. Let me heal your scars. Would you stand?